Turn your Bible to 1 Peter, chapter 1, the last few verses, then we'll get into chapter 2. All right. To bring us up to speed again, context is key, as we all know. This was written to the early Christian church who were facing great persecution. Written by Peter, a man who knew the grace of God firsthand, a man who denied the Lord himself, a man who was great, you know, great in his boldness, but also great in his failures. But praise God that he showed grace upon him. And because he had experienced it firsthand, he now writes to this early church as they are dispersed because of persecution. They're living in lands that are foreign to them. They are sharing their faith, most of them, uh, based on the context. But they're also suffering persecution, and many of them are considering just kind of dialing it down. Because you know what? If I just keep quiet, maybe I won't face so much persecution. But you know what? During times of difficulty, we can all panic. We can all just kind of get in our flesh and try to make things work ourselves. We can try to find our way out. Some of you, no doubt, this morning, you know, with the economy the way it is, people have lost their jobs, and, you know, even with little Haley and her health circumstances, you know, guys, we're not in this alone. Amen? Our God is faithful. He loves you. He knew before the foundation of the world what you would be going through. And it's so important during these trying times to have people who can come alongside you and walk with you through the difficulty. And that's how the body of Christ ought to function, amen? When you're going through a tough time, the enemy wants you to isolate yourself, and the Lord wants you to reach out to your family in Christ that we might come alongside you and encourage you and and walk with you and help you any way that we can. And you know, that's exactly what Peter is doing. Peter is coming alongside those in the midst of a very difficult time, and he's walking with them through it. He's encouraging them in the midst of it. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. That's a gift in the Bible. And you, know, you have that gift to encourage and really just come alongside. And let me, let me encourage you to do this. As you pray, if God puts someone on your heart, give them a call or send them a card. You know, God will use that in such a mighty way. And that's what Peter has done. He's written this letter, and praise God, it's for us as well. But he's writing this letter to these these first century Christians facing great difficulty that's only about to get worse as Nero raises to power. And so he wants to get their eyes off their circumstances and back on the Lord to restore hope and faith and perspective in the midst of these trials. And already he's encouraged, him in se- encouraged them in several ways. He reminded them, these, early, these persecuted Christians, that they had a living hope. Guys, our hope isn't just heaven. Heaven's going to be awesome, amen? And it's going to be way better than we think. But guys, it's not, you know, a wheelbarrow full of rules with heaven at the end. We have a living hope right now in the person of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Amen? And we have that joy even now. Guys, heaven's going to be phenomenal, but I just praise God because I feel like I have a taste of it already because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so he told them, you know what? You have a living hope. Because they were fearing death. They were afraid of the persecution. You have a living hope. He told them they had a heavenly inheritance. They can take away all that you have. When they were sent packing from Jerusalem and they fled all over the world, many of them left all their worldly possessions behind. He said, guys, it doesn't matter. You have a heavenly inheritance and it's far better. You know, man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And you know what? The treasures of this earth are passing away, but he encouraged them, you have something far greater. Then he told them that these trials are but for a little while. This temporary suffering is but light affliction when compared to the eternal glory that awaits us. Again, these are constant reminders. Maybe you need to hear this this morning yourself. He's reminding them as we've gone through chapter 1, one thing after another to, to encourage them. He also said that our faith is proven genuine when it is tested by fire. You know, I don't like that verse. You know, the genuineness of our faith is proven by fire. And so you might say, well, why am I going through trials? Why am I going through difficulties that you might grow spiritually? And guys, as we grow spiritually, we are conformed more and more into the image of our Savior. We walk closer with the Lord. It's all worth it. And we become a greater testimony to the world around us. And one of the exhortations coming from Peter was, guys, you're going through a trial. God's using this for his glory. Just let him. 
It's this test that conforms you more into his image. Genuine faith is more precious than gold that perishes, he told them. He said, though we have not seen him, we believe, resulting in inexpressible love and joy and peace. Then he said, blessed, oh, how happy are those who have not seen him and yet believe. He's referring to those things that the Lord said. He's saying, guys, you haven't seen him. Those who haven't seen him, how precious it is, what joy you can have walking with the Lord. He then told them, we're almost to the text this morning, he then told them as we got toward the end that they were like the, the most blessed of all the, the believers in God who had ever lived because they had the completed or much more of the revelation. They had seen the risen and living Savior, many of them. They certainly knew of it. It was not something that the Old Testament prophets saw you know, in a glass dimly, the Bible says. They had the completed revelation, and because they had that, they could live with even greater faith and with greater boldness. Guys, guess who has even more than they did? We do. They didn't have the, this letter yet. They're just getting it. We're, we can read it and study it. We have the entire Bible in our hands, and it should bring a greater amount of faith and boldness for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And then the following verses of the chapter, he's going to continue to exhort them, again, about this living hope and heavenly inheritance, and the trials and the things of life in their past. But again, he's going to encourage them that what's coming next is going to continue to conform them into the image of the Son. What he's telling them is, look, in light of all these truths that you're going to heaven, in light of the fact that you have the completed, you've seen the risen Savior, you know of the, the completion of all the Old Testament prophecy, in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, quit whining and start Start getting busy about God's work. That's the exhortation. Okay, quit hiding. Quit saying, oh man, you know, if, if, if I could just get over that, then I'll, I'll give my life to the Lord. If I could just get past this, this phase of my life, God can't really use me right now. I'm too busy. If you're too busy to be used by God right now, you need to give up some of your idols. Amen? Because the Bible says, shall no other gods before me and no graven image and anything that takes my time away to where I can't serve God, then I've missed it. Guys, that's the, that's the eternal, that's the point, that's the perspective. And he's writing to them as they're, oh man, but you know, and hey, let's face it. I don't want to downplay what they're going through. This was a time when Christians were being martyred, Christians were being killed, Christians were being set on fire. This was no easy time. But Peter's reminding them, guys, this life is temporary. And this, is, this suffering is but light affliction compared to the glory which is to come. So be busy about the work of our Savior. You know what? He also told them that conduct yourselves in a way knowing that you will stand before God one day. Guys, every one of us is going to stand before Almighty God. Lord willing, we'll get to that portion of it in chapter 2 this morning. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if we confess him now, we confess him unto salvation. If we wait until after we die, it's at a point of eternal judgment. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. If you're here, you're here not by chance, but by divine appointment. And you need to know the Lord loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. And you should not leave here without him. Amen? The Lord loves you. He's a gracious, loving, and merciful God. He told them they were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect and holy Lamb of God, who was foreordained to die before the foundation of the world. So that brings us to this morning's text. And I titled it, The Power of God's Word. I think I might like that a little bit. The Power of God's Word. The Bible rocks. Amen? I mean, I just love the Bible. And you know what? The more time you spend in it, the more you're going to fall in love with it. But the power of God's word. First, we're going to see the written word. We're going to see the written word. First, we're going to see that when we faithfully respond to the written word of God, one, it produces a fervent love for one another. Guys, they shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? We ought to supernaturally love each other, and it shouldn't be something contrived or that we have to force. It ought to be a natural outflowing of intimate fellowship with God. I can honestly tell you before the Lord, I look forward to seeing you guys every Sunday and every Wednesday. You know why? Because I love you guys. Because you guys are my family. 
And as I go through the church directory and I pray for you, I look forward to seeing you. I get excited when I see you. And when you're not here, I miss you. Not because I, I'm, you know, I, I love you guys and you're my family. And you know what? This is a natural outpouring as he's writing this letter to them. Look, this fervent love will be something that comes out of you. Instead of being worried about your circumstances, you'll be reaching out and ministering to the body of Christ. Number two. The written word, when we faithfully respond to the written word of God, we can rest in the fact that his word lives, abides, and endures forever. It will never change. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we don't get addendums to the Bible? Aren't you glad we don't get this new newsletter coming out of Brooklyn? Jehovah's Witnesses, they get a new letter. Guys, we don't need new letters. Amen? We got the Bible. And praise God, we can study it, and we can read it, and we can walk in it, and we can follow it. It's not going to change. And that's what he's encouraging them with. It produces a change in our behavior, laying aside ungodliness. Number four is a source of true spiritual growth, the Word of God. And then finally, if we have time, we're going to get to the living words. We have the written word, the Bible. We have the living word, Jesus Christ. And we'll see in the final portion that he is the cornerstone of salvation, or the stone of righteous judgment, it's up to us to respond to him. So let's begin in verse 22 of chapter 1, the power of God's word, the written word. When we faithfully respond to the written word of God, it produces a fervent love for one another. Verse 22 says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now, since, in light of the fact that you have purified your souls, in light of the fact that you're walking in obedience to the word of, of truth, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, the natural outpouring of that should be a love one for another with a pure heart. That's a love that wants nothing from the other person. It's a love that says, I love you unconditionally. If you never give me anything, I love you. And I want to give to you. I want to bless you. I want to minister to you. I want to care for you. I want to walk alongside you. If you, just, you, know, and if you want to love, you know, give back, that's fine. But that's not my motivation. It's coming from a pure heart with no other motive. But notice it says there, and I love this word, it says, in the, through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. And then everything else describes that love. It's joy and peace and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You go down that list, but all of that describes the love. How do you know someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? They're loving on people. They can't help but love on people. They esteem others greater than themselves. Less of me and more of him. The ultimate example of that, of course, is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Greater love had no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. And guys, as we are walking in obedience to the written word of God, and we are filled with the spirit of the living God, this love ought to be pouring out of us. I will tell you that I am encouraged all the time by emails and visitors who come, and they will come up and tell me they've never felt so loved in a church in their life. Praise God. Amen? What that's a sign of is that hopefully we continue to be in a place where we look around and we don't just run to the same five friends that we have, and you can certainly do that, but look for someone new and love on them. We're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. Amen? And they need to see the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and to reach out to them. I'll never forget, just came to mind right now, it's not in my notes or anything, but many years ago, there was a young gal who was riding by on her bike. We used to do a youth group out on the lawn on Calvary San Jose on Wednesday nights all summer long. We'd have a different Christian band come play and we'd do a big outreach to reach the, the neighborhood and to reach the high schools. And there was a gal that was riding by on her bike and she heard the music and she stopped. And she sat down on the edge of the grass, and as I wanted, I went over and kind of loved on her, and I sent four or five people over to love, and people just kept going out and reaching out to her, and reaching out to her. And you know what? It wasn't until several months later that she came up and told me, Pastor Dave, I have to tell you something. She said, I was on my bike, and I, and I had in my pocket a razor blade, and I was going to go behind an alley, and I was going to slit my wrist. And she said, I had a suicide note with me, and she handed it to me, and I read it. 
She was going to commit suicide. She said as she was writing, she heard the music, she stopped, and she said, you know what? The first thing you guys did was just love all over me. I thought, what, in the, what do these people want from me? You know what? You didn't want anything. You just loved on me. She said, and then when you got up and taught about the love of God, I believed in the love of God because I saw the love of God evidenced in the youth group. Guys, it's one thing to talk about the love of God. It's another thing to live it out. And if we are walking in the Word and spending time in the Word and we are filled with the Spirit, this fervent love for those around us is going to be evident. And that's exactly what he's encouraging them with. You know, have this fervent love one for another. You know, we can get very isolated when we're in the midst of a tough time. Remember the context. We're going through difficulty. We're facing the potential loss of our own life. We've lost a lot of our stuff. It's real easy to get just sit and play Ain't It Awful. Right? Around those people, they got jobs. I don't have a job right now. Hang out with them, you know? And we can get that attitude. And he says, instead, look, midst of a trial, love all over each other. And Lord, help us to have that heart. The natural result of true salvation, indeed, is a fervent love one for another. I'll give you one guess what that word love is it's agape. Agape is a selfless love. You know, phileo is a friendship love, eros is an erotic or a selfish love. What can you do for me? Agape is, what can I do for you? It's a selfless love. It's the love that a mother has for its child. It's not about me. You wake up at 2 a.m. and need to be fed. I'm getting up because I love you more than I love myself. I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's agape. And that's what he's telling them. Have that fervent agape one for another. He's writing this letter, again, of encouragement and exhortation. Point number two. Praise God for the written word. And the truth of it is, as we walk in it, we can rest in the fact that his word lives, abides, and endures forever. Look at verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Our salvation did not come through physical birth, but spiritual rebirth. Amen? He said it didn't come through a seed corruptible. It didn't come because you're of a, a certain line, not because you were Jewish or because you were a Gentile or, or whatever you want. He's saying, look, that's not what saved you. It wasn't a, a, you know, a line of a seed of the earth. What came instead was you of an incorruptible seed, being born again. And what was it? that brought about salvation. Look what it says. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. What is it that brings people to the place of seeing their need for a savior? The word of God. Guys, our opinions are irrelevant. The word of God transforms lives. Amen? Can I encourage you, when you're sharing your faith, less of your opinions and more of God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. Not the words of Dave or the thoughts of Dave or the, you know, it's the word of God. And too often we love to get in a diatribe and debate with people. Who cares? What does the Bible say? And he says, this is the thing that brought about this transformation. It was the word of God. And it says the word of God, what? Lives and abides forever. Guys, people have been trying to snuff out this book since it was written. Amen? They're still trying. Keep it out of the schools. Take it out of the libraries. Yeah, we, we'd hate to have people go in the library and read the Bible. That'd be tragic, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be tragic to have junior high students open up the Bible and read the Word of God? You know, don't get, past, don't get me started. I Just don't get me started. Because there's such a big part of me that thinks we ought to tell public school to take a hike and just have every kid go to Christian school and just teach the Word of God and let it be the textbook and see what happens. Amen? I have such a heart for that. Be praying for that. One of the reasons I have a heart for a building, I want us to get in a place where we have a Christian school and you know what? The Lord would work it out that the people that couldn't afford to pay for their kids to go, they could come anyway. Amen? Our God can do that, right? And certainly that's my heart. And what I see here is it's the Word of God that transforms lives. We need to get the Word of God and it doesn't change. It abides forever. Guys, we need to feed our kids the Word. We need to get them into the Word. We need to let them have a steady diet of the Word of God because if someone's going to be saved, it's the Word of God that's going to open up their eyes. God's going to use the Holy Spirit, but He's going to speak through His Word. Amen? So guys, deliver the Word. Share the Word. Preach the Word. 
It's the word of God that impacts people. And then he says, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as a flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen and amen and amen. You know, praise God for those who lay down their lives to get the word of God translated. For those who brought the word of God to people who had never heard it before, God bless them, amen? And the reward was in heaven, and we know it was great. But you know what? We can get to the point where we go to the other extreme because we have 27 Bibles in our house. That we take it for granted. We don't spend enough time in the Word. Ah, well, yeah, I've been reading it my whole life. Guys, this is not Moby Dick. It's the Bible. Amen? It's not a novel you read once. Oh, the whale thing. Okay, I got it. Right? No, it's the Bible. I had a couple tell me years ago that they weren't going to come on Sundays anymore because they've already read the New Testament. I'm like, uh... It's the living, breathing Word of God. Amen? We're not reading a novel. And so it's so important that we spend time in it because, again, it abides. It endures forever. It's the Word of God. Again, Almighty God revealing Himself to man. You want to know Him better, you want to love Him more, spend time in His Word because to know Him is to love Him. Amen? And you want to get to know Him, you want to know the God of the Word, you need to know the Word of God. That's how he reveals himself to us. So the temporal things that were no doubt a source of great concern for these persecuted Christians, he says, look, all the stuff you're worried about, it's all chaff. All the stuff that's got you whipped up right now, it's perishing. The word of the Lord endures forever. What you do for the kingdom of God will outlast this lifetime. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. So forget about that. Set aside all those things that have been got you bummed out and worried. Guys, here's the good news. The thing that's eternal can never be taken from you. Amen? We've had people in our church had to evacuate their houses. We need to come alongside them and help them any way we can. But the good news is our houses could all fall into the ocean in an earthquake, and it wouldn't matter because it's all chaff. It just doesn't matter. What matters is the Word, is the Lord, is walking with Him, and it's people. Amen? And so the exhortation is, look, you're so caught up in this stuff, you're forgetting about your calling. Your calling was to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel. Yes, you're facing persecution. God's using that for His glory. Don't allow the temporal stuff to get your eyes off the eternal. That's Peter's exhortation to them. The word of God endures forever. It's been under attack for over 2,000 years. It's been banned. It's been outlawed. Some have tried to change it. But praise God that he's got his hand on it. Amen? Again, I'll never forget, we were in Russia one time with the youth group, and I remember getting on the, on the metro, and one of the younger gals in our group, I think she's about 14 years old, went over to an older gentleman and handed him a Bible in Russian. And I just remember the man grabbing her by the hand and just talking at her really fast, and she was kind of in a panic mode. You know, like this guy's grabbing me, right? And I walked over there with an interpreter, and what he told me was this. He said, I have been here since, you know, the Bible was outlawed. And he said, my family has had one page of the Bible since I was a teenager. And I've always wanted to know what the rest of the story was. And I have been praying for over 40 years for a Bible. And here's my, this 14-year-old girl in my youth group walking up to this man on the metro and handing him the Bible. He had been praying for 26 years before she was born. And here she was handing him the word of God. The word of God endures forever. It had been outlawed in Russia. It had been removed, but our God is faithful. Amen? And what a blessing. We, guys, we should not take for granted that we have so much access to it. It's been neglected in pulpits today, too. There are people that are afraid to teach the Bible. They're afraid to teach the Word of God. They're afraid if they teach the Word of God, people might not come back. If you tell me I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, I don't want to hear that. Come and tell me how wonderful I am. You know, just puff me up. Just blow smoke all over me for an hour. And I'll give a lot of money if you do that, right? And there's this, there, you know what though? Here's the thing. The pastor that does that will stand accountable to Almighty God one day. 
Because what he has done, it's like feeding your kids cotton candy all day, every day, and then wondering why they're sick. The church is sick today because the word of God is not being proclaimed with great boldness. We need to get back to the place where the word of God is the only text taught in the church. Amen? Instead of what, books written by men, those can be vitamins and they can be fine. But the word of God is the meat and potatoes. We're going to eat this first. Amen? We need to be filled up on the word. And I don't know about you, but I've been a pastor 20 years and I still feel like I'm just scratching the surface of this book. It's such a great book. Amen? It's actually 66 books. The gospel should be proclaimed from it every day because lives are being transformed by it. And these persecuted Christians had God's word and they said, look, Peter's saying, the word of the Lord endures. Don't get caught up in all this other stuff. The word of God is the thing that's going to outlast this life. Be faithful to that. Teach it with great boldness. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the promise of heaven. Let's get busy about his business. So the power of God's word. Number three, it produces a change in our behavior. The end of verse 25 there, it says, Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Guys, the word of God is the gospel. It's the good news. Amen? And we need to get, and again, sharing the simplicity of the gospel is wonderful, but nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. Amen? So we need to study the whole counsel of God from cover to cover. And he's exhorting them and encouraging them to be people of the word. But now he's going to say, okay, now that you've been exhorted about the word and to be in the word, and the word endures forever and it abides forever, now how should that be reflected in your life? Look at verse 1. Therefore, in light of the fact that the word of God endures forever, it abides forever, it lives forever, that you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have a supernatural love for each other. Now what? Therefore, in light of all of that truth, how are we now to respond? He's just demonstrated the power of the word of God. And now he's going to talk about how it should transform not only their eternal destination, but their character here on earth. In light of God's word, how should we respond? Then he says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Guys, our belief is reflected in our behavior. If we truly believe that the Lord could come back today, who believes that that absolutely could happen? If we believe it, we ought to live like it. Amen? If, our, if we believe it, it ought to impact our behavior. And so the exhortation here is, look, here's the truth, now here's how you respond. Therefore, in light of what you know, what you understand, in light of the redeeming work of the cross of Calvary and the unchanging eternal truth of God's word, lay aside all malice. The word malice there means wickedness or depravity. It's the desire to injure others without a cause. You might say, well, I've never really wanted to do that. Injure others without a cause. But you know what? In the midst of great trials and persecution, our flesh wants to strike back and get even and defend ourselves, doesn't it? When somebody, remember, context, they're being persecuted. They're being persecuted simply because they're followers of Jesus Christ. They're, they've lost their homes. Some of their friends have lost their lives. And there's a fleshly response that says, I'm going to strike back. And I'm going to strike back hard. Who do you think you're messing with? Anybody else ever thought that before besides me, right? And you get that mentality. And you know what? He's saying to them, lose the malice. Lose the attitude. Lose the wickedness. Lose the depravity. In the midst of these great trials and persecutions, don't strike back. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Amen? And so instead, you know, wrath escalates the problem. A soft answer brings a halt to it most of the time. And so he's saying, look, don't respond with malice. Don't respond with hatred. Don't respond. That's how the world responds. You're not of the world. Amen? But I still drag this flesh around. Yes, we do. Amen? 
We still drag this dead carcass around, and this dead carcass likes to rise up every day. That's why we have to, we have to put the flesh to death daily, don't we? Because it wants to rise up every day. And he's saying, look, die to the flesh. Put aside all the malice, the wickedness, the depravity, the evil. It may be all around you, but it should not be named among you. While the characteristics are common in the world, they should not be common among believers, even in the face of great persecution. God's word calls us not to defend ourselves, but to, not, to deny ourselves. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Not vengeance is mine, I will repay, says Dave. Amen? The Lord is the one, and you leave it in His hands. And you know what? We shouldn't even be praying that God would bring vengeance, but the Lord would pour out grace. Amen? As Christians, we're not to respond to the world's angry and vengeful actions in kind, but we are to lay aside. The word lay aside literally means to put away or to cast off such behavior. And in the Greek, it literally means to put it away forever. Not just set it aside for the moment, but literally to take it and get rid of it forever. Put aside malice for the rest of your life. The depravity, the anger, the bitterness, lose it. It should no longer be named among you. It's not in Galatians 5.22. It's not in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is it? Love, joy, peace, kindness, malice. It's not in there. Angry, anger, bitterness. It's not in there. That's the fruit of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit. And so here's the exhortation. And again, remember, coming from a man who's writing to people who are in the face of great, great persecution. We are new creations in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Will we ever be sinless? What's the answer? No. But can we sin less? Absolutely. And we should sin less. Amen? Because now we have the Holy Spirit conviction. A good friend of mine used to say stuff, and I go, dude, you need to run that through the Holy Spirit filter before it comes out of your mouth. Amen? We just got to the point where I go, filter, you know, because stuff would just, I go, you didn't, you didn't run that, and yeah, I, I filter. Yeah, exactly right, amen? And you know, we all need to do that, don't we? Let's run it through the filter before it comes out of our mouth. Let's run our actions and our attitudes through the Holy Spirit filter before it comes out of our mouth. The Lord, his words, his promises would outlast their trials and their persecution, and so too in this world. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, are going to outlast any trial you're going through. Amen? Whatever you're going through, God's greater, God's faithful. We are to not defend ourselves. We're to leave that in the hands of God. And regardless of the depths of our persecution or the severity of our circumstances, leave it with the Lord. And then it says, lay aside all malice, all deceit. Deceit is fraud in word or action. As spirit-filled, born-again believers, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the truth, right? Who's the father of lies? Satan. So when you lie, you are being Satan-like, and when you're being truthful, you're being Christ-like. Amen? Well, what about exaggerating? Exaggerating is lying. Amen? Half a truth is a whole lie. Amen? Glad he didn't tell me that before April 15th, right? But you know, here's the point. The point is that as believers, we need to be living lives filled with, led by the Holy Spirit, and our words should reflect our heart. Our words should reflect our character. The Bible says that the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Nothing slips out. Amen? Well, it just slipped out. No, it didn't. That poured out, bro, from right here. Amen? If it's coming out of your mouth, it's in your heart. And if your mouth's got a problem, you've got a heart problem, and you need to give it over to the Lord. Amen? So the transformation, this deceit, you need to lay it aside permanently. Get rid of it once and for all. Lying and defrauding one another, expressing with our lips something different from what's in our hearts. We're not to deceive others. And the Word says, all deceit, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The word there literally means to wear a mask. In those days back then, you know, when you went to, they didn't have, you know, the movie theater. So they'd have a theater and you'd sit in a big amphitheater. Those of you who've been to Israel with us, you've been to a few of these places. And they would stand down and, you know, they didn't have, you know, microphones. And so what they would do, so the people in the back, they would hold up a huge mask, often five times the size of their, and they would hold it up. 
and it would have sadness or, or anger or, or happiness. And it was, you know, it was called a hypocrite. And you would wear that over your face to you know, portray an emotion. A hypocrite is a mask wearer, someone pretending to be something that they're not. And he says, put all the hypocrisy aside. You know what? There's very few things that have a greater harm to the kingdom of God than hypocrisy. A phony love, a phony zeal, a phony sincerity or devotion, a false sense of religion or piety or holiness, you know, cloaking what we really have down below, which is uh, wicked intent. You know, Jesus called the Pharisees brood of vipers. He called them hypocrites. He said, on the outside, you like whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you're filled with dead man's bones. You know, outwardly, you play a game. Guys, you can play a game with the world, and you can even fool the world, but you'll never fool God. Amen? And we need to put aside hypocrisy and completely lose it. Get rid of it. No more. That's the exhortation that he's giving them. Then he says, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. Envy is the hatred of others on account of some talent or possession they have that you don't. Now, while jealousy simply wants what the other person has, envy is when the other person has something you could never have, so you want theirs to break. I'll never be able to afford a car like that. I hope you twist that around a tree, man. You know what I mean? It's that mentality. It's that attitude, that envy. You know? And remember, he's writing to who? Christians who've lost everything in many cases. They've lost their homes. They've lost their wealth. They've lost all they have. They're living a vagabond life. They're running for their lives. They're during persecution. He says, look, lose envy. Don't be envious of the world. Don't be having hatred toward those people. Instead, you've got to realize you're richer than all of them because you've got Jesus Christ. And that's the real riches that will last and outlast this life. And he's exhorting them, put aside the envy. Just get rid of it. Desire to see others fail or lose, taken down a peg or two. That attitude should never be amongst Christians. Amen? Then he says, and all evil speaking. I can already tell we're not going to get to verse 10. All evil speaking. Now, this includes profanity, dirty jokes, coarse jesting, backbiting, slander, and gossip. Well, what am I going to talk about then? <laughs> Pretty much just wiped out my vocabulary. What I got left. The Bible says again, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. I used to say to my kids and to the youth group, prayer praise. If you can't say something nice, praiseworthy, then pray for the person. If you can't do either one, then be quiet. Shut it, right? And you know what? I think that's a great exhortation for all of us prayer praise think how, how much less we would talk if we limited it to that our word our volume would just go down wouldn't it because it's so easy to lash out it's so easy our tongue you know as it says in james chapter three it's a little tiny member but man that thing it's like a rudder that steers a whole ship and that little tiny member you know it's set on fire by hell the bible says and you know it's so easy for us to just lash out and to respond and ah uh, and be quick-witted and to get back even with somebody with our tongue. And he says, that's all that evil speaking. You need to lose it forever. Get rid of it. It should not be named among you. It should not be part of who you are. Lose it. That's the exhortation. Now again, but these guys are persecuting me. They've taken my house away. They've killed some of my friends. How I can't lie. No, don't lash out. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. In time, your speech will give you away. That's why I think courtship should be at least a year. Everybody can be on their best behavior for a little while. Right? But you know what? Just sit back and listen to somebody for a while, and you'll find out what's in their heart. If they love the Lord, and they're, it'll, it'll be evident in their speech. And if there's something else going on in time, it'll happen. Times of trials and difficulty, it's so easy to lash out at others, to go and attack those who are accusing or persecuting us. But spiritual maturity is seen, not how we act when everything is going our way, but how we respond when things are not. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship to heaven. Amen? 
Easy to be the Christian when everything's perfect. Everything's great. Money in the bank. Great job. Everybody's healthy. Kids walking with the Lord. Hey. Diagnosed with cancer. How do you respond? Lost your job. How do you respond? Things have just got tough. What, how are you going to be different? That's the sign of spiritual maturity when you can praise God in the midst of the storm. When you continue to magnify his name, when you can be like Job and say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because you know what, God, you're faithful and I trust you. And all the stuff I have is yours anyway. And the exhortation here is to put aside the evil speech and the attitude, but to respond with maturity. Spiritual growth is seen both by what we lay aside and what we desire. We lay aside the deceit and the filthiness and the hypocrisy and the evil speaking. But what then should we desire? We're going to look at the last two verses here, verse 2 and 3. Now watch what it says. So we lay aside that which is evil, that which is wicked, that which is depraved. What should we desire in its place? Look at verse 2. Because as we grow and we despise the sin of the world, the power of God, the written word, is our source of spiritual growth. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's saying lay aside all the stuff, lay aside all the evil, all the depravity, and desire the word of God instead. And I love this picture here. As newborn babes. Now he's not speaking about new believers. Some people misinterpret this verse. As a new believer. No, he's talking about newborn babies. And I've had four of them. And I love babies. I don't even mind spit up. It's good for you. It smells good. I like it. It's all good. (laughs) Here's the point. When you feed a baby, you know, when you hold a baby, I, I used to volunteer for the midnight feeding. People thought I was out of my mind, but I loved it. I loved holding my kids. And, I, and I'll tell you what, you get that bottle close to them when they're hungry. And they're, you know, it's amazing how they respond, right? A baby, they are consistent in their hunger. And they are ravenous in the way they respond to a bottle sometimes. You put that pass, you know, you put that thing over, and they're all over it. And I was amazed sometimes you put the bottle in their mouth and you count to 10 and it's gone. <laughs> right? They just suck that thing down. And you think, he's saying, this is the way you are to desire the word of God. With that same passion, that same zeal, that same hunger. You run a formula at 2 a.m., you are getting in your car and driving around until you find a safe way that's open, right? Because that baby is not saying, I'll wait till six. That is not happening. Now, and the longer you wait, the louder I'm going to get. And you know what's awesome about kids, too? When they're not eating, they sleep and they dream about eating. You ever watch their mouths when they're asleep? What are they doing? Right? They're dreaming about when they're going to wake up and they're going to eat some more. And he's saying to them, what does he say? Have as a newborn babe hungers for the milk of the... You have that hunger for the word of God. You have that kind of hunger for the milk of God's word. It should be always on your mind, ever hungry, going after it full force like a baby does, the milk. Voracious, consistent, and so too ought we to be. You know what? Nobody has to teach a baby to be hungry. You know, you really should be eating. Now, unless they're sick, sometimes kids are sick and they lose their appetite. But you know what? A healthy baby's hungry pretty much all the time. And a healthy Christian ought to be hungry for the word of God all the time. Amen? There's nothing wrong with being in the word all the time. Nothing wrong with changing it off the sports station and putting it on the Christian station and listening to the word of God. Nothing wrong with grabbing some CDs. Nothing wrong with going home instead of watching repeats on TV, opening up the word of God. Amen? When you're done an hour later, you will have fed your soul instead of your flesh. You will grow, and you'll have a greater hunger for the word next time around. If a baby doesn't get the bottle fast enough, they'll let you know it. They're very focused. And he's saying, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. And you know what happens when babies eat, drink the milk the way they're supposed to, the way that they, if they're a healthy baby and they desire it, what do you do? You just watch them grow right in front of your eyes. 
And the same is true for a Christian. If you hunger for the word of God and you spend time in the word of God and you desire the word of God, the end result is going to be spiritual growth. That's the, the, you know, many times when people come, I think people get tired of hearing me say this, but I, I say it often and I probably can save myself about 50 counseling sessions right now. Not that I'm trying to do that because I, I I'm always open and available, okay? But people will come to me and say, I'm struggling with this. I'll say, how much time have you been spending in the word? Well, not very much. We're struggling in our marriage. How much time are you guys in the Word together? Oh, well, not very much. I'm struggling with my butt. When was the last time you prayed for him? Well, I don't think I ever have. You know, and often it's like they want you to come and give them some answer. Here's the answer. Read your Bible and pray. And watch how your life will change. Amen? Read your Bible and pray every day and watch how your life will change. Desire the Word of God like a baby desires that bottle. Be voracious about the Word of God. Protect your time in the Word of God. Don't go to sleep without spending time with the Lord. Make Him the priority. Don't give Him the last five minutes of your day when you're nodding off and going to sleep. Give Him the best of your time. Give Him the first fruits of your time. Amen? Isn't He worth it? And He is. Desire. The word desire there, I love this word. It's it's a word used for a man's deepest longing for God. It's the same word used in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water, Brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. That's the same desire that the baby has for the milk bottle. That's the desire when you thirst. You thirst for his word. There's such a desperate need for it. Desire the pure milk of the word speaks of hunger and eagerness we're to have for the word of God. And it's interesting, the word for pure milk, the pure milk of the word, the word there is sincere. The genuine, pure word of God. Again, a baby deprived of milk becomes malnourished and sick. It stunts its growth. Its immune system doesn't fully develop. And so too in the life of a Christian, when we fail to spend time in the Word, we don't have the pure you know, milk of the Word of the Lord. It's the reason so many of us are struggling in so many aspects of our lives. It stunts our growth. You can be a Christian for 20 years and still be an infant. Why? Because you're not feeding on the Word of God. The Word of God will transform your life. Without time feeding on God's Word, our faith falters. It stunts our growth. We lose our godly perspective. Can I tell you the number one reason why we get in a place of depression or anxiety or fear or worry? We lose the eternal perspective. And why do we lose it? Because we don't spend time with the Lord. We get the world, the world, the world, the world, the world, the world, none of the Lord, and all of a sudden, oh, we're overwhelmed. And you know what? That would overwhelm anybody. That's why we need to get into the Word to keep the proper perspective. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. No fear of God. No true fellowship with God. It's a lack of time in the Word of God. If your marriage is struggling, if you're having a hard time hearing from the Lord, if you're struggling in your faith, if you're dealing with fear, anxiety, and doubt, if your life lacks direction, if you're having a hard time sharing your faith with others... Spend more time in the Word. You fall in love with the Lord, you can't help but tell other people about Him. Amen? Well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism. Uh, we're all called to evangelize. Amen? Go, therefore, those who are called to be evangelists, and that's not what it says. It's all of us. Amen? I love my wife. I love to introduce her to people. I love my kids. I love to introduce them to people. Why? Because I love them. I can't wait to see them. I love to, to, to let everybody know that I'm with her. I'm with them. This is my family. You know what? We need to love Jesus Christ even more and be even more excited to introduce other people to him. Amen? That's the exhortation here. Spend time in the word. Last verse. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. The word if there literally means since or seeing. Since you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, seeing that you know that the Lord is gracious, since the Lord has poured out his grace upon you, since you've experienced God's riches at Christ's expense, grace, because you've experienced that, since you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it should be reflected by a fervent love for one another, a laying aside of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, 
and the laying aside of the fleshly behavior, and instead desiring the pure milk of the word, having tasted of his grace, even as these early Christians deal with heartache, trials, and persecution, knowing by experience that they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Guys, do you know you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Do you know that all your sin has been washed away? Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know that you've been adopted into his family? Do you know that the Bible says no one will ever snatch you out of his hand? That's grace. Amen? And in light of that, ought to change our perspective on everything. Lord, you've shown me grace. Help me to show it to others. We know it by experience. We've tasted of God's grace and it ought to be pouring out of our lives. So in closing, the power of God's word, the written word, when we faithfully respond to written word, it produces a fervent love for one another. We can rest in the fact that his word lives, abides, and endures forever. It produces a change in our behavior, laying aside ungodly behavior, but it's also a source of spiritual growth. Next time we'll see the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen? Can I encourage you? Change your behavior about how much time you spend in God's word. You'll never regret it. Amen? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll close with this because it's so true. I often equate opening up, and it's, it's kind of a weak analogy for some of you, so forgive me. But I often equate opening up your Bible like going to the health club. You know, it's the hardest thing for me to get to the health club, but once I'm there, I always enjoy it. But getting there, getting off this sofa, getting in my car, putting on my sweats, driving over there, ah, so much easier to go, I'll go tomorrow, right? The Word of God, isn't it almost the same way sometimes? It's sitting there, but you're watching a game or something else is going on, and sometimes the hardest thing in the world to do is to walk over and open it up. But you know what? Every time you open it up, you're blessed. Every time you open up your minister too, and you think, why don't I open it up more? Because there's an enemy that wants to keep it shut. Amen? It's a spiritual battle. Set aside time. Have others keep you accountable. Read through the Bible in a year. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen? Get in God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. Father, give us a greater hunger for your word than ever before. And Lord, I pray as we read your word that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate truth to us. Father, that we would, as we read your word, we'd come to know you better. And we'd know, Lord, that the end result of that is that we'll love you more. Lord, I pray also you'd help us, Father, in the midst of trials, to lay aside all the deceit and the malice and the envy and the anger and the bitterness. Lord, in the midst of the trial, I pray, Lord, instead of being like the world, we would reflect you, that your Holy Spirit would pour out of us. Help us, Lord, to be like a newborn baby in our hunger for your word. Lord, to truly be voracious and consistent in our time in your word. Father, minister to us from it. Lord, and I just pray for anybody here that doesn't know you this morning. Open their eyes to the truth of who you are. May they know that today is a day of salvation. Lord, that you love them. That, Lord, it's not joining a club, but truly it's just confessing our sin and asking you to be our Savior. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we glorify and magnify your most holy name. We can't wait to see you face to face. But Lord, I pray and when you come back for us, you would find us busy about your work. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.